0: Welcome to the Navigation Church Podcast, featuring practical and encouraging weekly messages from one of our pastors or featured guests. Make sure and subscribe to this podcast so you never miss a single message. Every message is committed to helping you discover and take your next step in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And now, here's today's message with Pastor David Amston.
1: Meg, thank you so much. Good morning, Nav family. How are you today? Good morning. I, I like the change up every once in a while in worship where you just kind of sit back, and let the band see the expertise of our musicians kind of come through, but then also, what's wrong with just making it all about Jesus every once in a while, right? And so, well, good morning. We are continuing a conversation called The Power of No. We've been on this conversation for a couple weeks now. And if you haven't been here for a while, we've been starting the conversations really with kind of some real-life, science-based, psychological uh, discussion. Now, with that being said, you need to know that this is not a self-help series. This is a series meant to help yourself, though. And what is one of the greatest things that we can do is learn how to say no. Because if we can learn how to say no ahead of time, a lot of times it'll keep us from being in trouble in the moment. And so a couple of the things that we've started off with is the decision fatigue. This past week, I had a very long day at the office. It seemed like I constantly was talking about strategies and future and plans. And I came home, my wife said to me, hey, what do you want for dinner tonight? And I said, Anything you pick is fine with me. You know why? Because I was absolutely fatigued from having to make decisions all day long. Am I the only one that ends your day sometimes like that? Okay, so good. I'm I'm not alone there. The problem is on decision fatigue, what happens if a decision needs to come in the moment, I'm exhausted from making decisions, and it's a yes or no decision, and no takes me down a road that I don't want to go down. Well I need to have some nose in this, kind of in the hopper, if you would. And then another week we talked about ego depletion. Ego depletion sounds very selfish, but here's what it is: Sometimes we run out of willpower. How many have ever had a long day, and you were going to stick to your diet no matter what? And then you get, you get home and you said no to the fast food joint. You said no to the birthday party cake that someone threw at the office. You said no, you said no, and then you got home and you're exhausted and you open up the pantry and there's nothing ready to cook except there is some marshmallows, there's some Rice Krispies, and there's a stick of butter. You see where I'm going with this? And you think to yourself, in two and a half minutes, I can have ooey gooey Rice Krispie treats, which will release so many dopamine and endorphins in my body, and it'll make me happy till I'm bloated. But the problem is, we have to come to terms with the fact that our willpower will run out. It is a limited fund that we have in our mind and in our body and in our emotions. And so we have to make decisions ahead of time to be able to say no to things. And when it comes to saying no to some things, we have to understand that our brain works like a computer and cognitively, we can only comprehend so much. And so there's this cognitive load theory that says this, that if I keep having to make too many decisions, my processing board will freeze up and we'll end up being in a situation where someone asks us, do you want to do this? Can you help with this? Can you, can you handle this for me? And we say yes. And the moment you say yes, you walked away and you go, I wanted to say no. How many have ever been in that situation before? So we have to set up boundaries ahead of time to say no to things. And so it was interesting because this week I was in the office and I was talking to Pastor Aaron and I said, man, I, I've really enjoyed breaking down like these psychological things that are just true to all of us. We just didn't know the term to it. And I said, here's a couple more that I'm thinking about for this week coming up. And he goes, well, what are you preaching on? And I told him. And he goes, sounds like we just need to have radical amputation. And I go, what? What? So I got on my little machine and I did my research. Radical amputation is a term often used metaphorically. Okay, So if you keep having trouble overeating, don't go 127 hours on your arm. Be like, I got to radically amputate. Did anyone get that reference? Okay, good. I thought that was a bit of a deep cut. See, that's what happens when I work with jokes ahead of time. Jokes ahead of time never land. So, but I'm not talking about physically amputating something off of you. I appreciate the four of you that just caught up to what we were joking about. I, I enjoyed watching the smile show up after the fact. But it's a metaphorically, in psychological and, yes, self-help context, it refers to the idea of completely cutting off or removing something from one's life that is causing harm or hindering progress. This could be a negative behavior, a toxic relationship, unhealthy habit, or even negative thought patterns. And it, the term emphasizes a dramatic and decisive nature of action taken that sometimes it's necessary, necessary to take these bold steps to cut off something that is keeping us from the future God has for us. And so when I say radical amputation, what is it that you need to consider radically amputating out of your life today? Anything keeping you from your life mission. What is your life mission? I don't know. It's your life mission. Now last week we did talk about this a little bit, that we should all be passionately pursuing the things of Christ and the kingdoms of God. That should be a common Um, life mission for all of us, but where in your life do you, you decided ahead of time, this is my mission. This is what I'm called to. I am called to be a pastor. And so in being a pastor, I need to identify boundaries that I should never cross. And I should not get close to those boundaries and flirt with those boundaries. I should actually create a boundary away from the boundary to help me stay away from that. And if my brain ever tells me it's okay to go a little closer to that, here's what the reality is. I need to pause in that moment and say, no, 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 this is the actual outcome of the actions that I take. So for example, for everyone say for example. example. As a pastor, I shouldn't be kissing anybody who's not my wife, Amen? amen? Okay, okay. But if I tell myself I can get away with it, I need to have a reality check. No, no, thank you. That was a solid amen back there. I appreciate that. Here's the reality check. I don't damage my relationship. I damage my ministry. I push away my kids. I, I model for my kids a lifestyle that I would not tolerate for them to live. That's the reality of it. And so I need to have a harsh reality of what it is. And if those desires are truly bubbling up, I need to speak the word of God over that. Not the word of God that I googled to try to get a single scripture because God has magic potions that I can throw at a situation. I'm reading this Bible as information to me and it needs to illuminate me to a certain level of life that I live in that revelation that when two people come together, they're now one flesh. That's a revelation to me. And the moment I bring a third person into that situation, the two can't be one because the third one messed it all up. I have to speak truth because I'm living in the revelation and that realization needs to manifest itself in my life. Why? Because I want to be a husband to one. I want to be a father. And any of these things that would take me off mission, I need to be able to say no to ahead of time. But I sometimes don't do that because I have temptations in my life because we define ourselves by what we have, what we do, and other people think of us. Or another way to say it is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And so we have to stand away from these temptations. And if you're like, wow, that is a lot of content really quick. Yeah, that's because we're a couple weeks into the conversation. But last week we talked a a while about worry and anxiety because there's some places in our life that we worry about. We actually do this. We, We worry about a future that we can't control and we have anxiety about a past that we can't change. And so we got into the word, and we actually read, read this with me, Matthew six twenty eight through 30. It says this, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Luke says it this way, grow a cubit in your height by worry. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow? They don't labor or spend. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, the richest man who ever lived, that had more money than you can ever dream of, and all of his splendors, he didn't have drip like them flowers. I, I just, number one, I was trying to be hip for the young generation. You're welcome. Number two, I wanted to make sure you were still paying attention. Is that how God closed the grass of the fields, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire? How or will he not much more close you, you of little faith? So last week I didn't get a chance to dive into this, and I kind of want to start today's conversation by in or starting where we ended last week, where it says, you of little faith. What is faith? I know there's a lot of teachings out there. There's whole ministries based off the concept of faith. I think faith is boiled down to as simple as this. Something you can put your trust in. Faith is something that you put your trust in. You know what I put my trust in? I put my trust in solid ground that I'm standing on. Now, have you ever been... Where you had to repel off of a rock. I know that not many of you are going to know what I'm talking about. But have you ever seen where they put like a harness around your midsection? And this harness around one little part of your body that's really tight and snug. The guy is telling you or the lady is telling you. The individual helping you. That this little thing around your hip is going to hold you as you go off backwards down a cliff. Just so you. It's terrible. Thank you for being on. It is terrible. And not only that, then they're going to put a little rope around you that they could have got at, you know, gimmickrope.com. Like, and they, they put this rope on you, and they say this, all you have to do is fall backwards. At this point, I have greater faith in the, in the ground that I'm standing off on versus the air you want me to go into. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay, so now all of a sudden, at some point, I have to have faith in their word to be able to start leaning back. Now, if you've ever really done it, you didn't just fall backwards. You got on one knee at, because somehow getting on a knee before you fall is going to be better than the long distance fall that you're about to go. And then somewhere along the line, you actually get to the point where the only thing holding on to you is this rope, this carabiner, this belay on, belay up is what I'm telling you to do. And they've t- taught you all these things. And now you're walking backwards down this cliff. And guess what? Somewhere about halfway down, my faith increased. What, did it, what actually increased? My trust in what that guy or that girl said about this rope and this harness. It grows because at some point I either have to step into that faith, either step into that trust, step into that word, or I have to stay standing where I'm standing. But if you've ever seen people that have done it long enough, do you know there's people that take off running and jump off these cliffs? And on the way down, they bounce all the way down. You know the difference between them and us, and I put us in it because you ain't going to get this joker doing that, It's the faith to know what you're in has the capacity to hold you. And so in your faith walk, if you aren't trusting God to hold you, you are believing more. I don't feel like like everyone's with me. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use an example right now that I think will affect everybody. Every single Sunday, there is a chance that we tell you, we're gonna give you an opportunity to worship God with the giving of your tithes and offerings. And I know, statistically speaking, because at the, every, at the end of every month, the people who work around here give me a report to see. Statistically speaking for you for us, over half the people here do not tithe and occasionally give. And by the way, right now, if you're a guest with us, you're like, well, there it is. It only took a couple minutes. The pastor's talking about money. Let me be very clear. I'm using this example because I'm trying to punch you in the face. So if you want to be offended with me, it's not because I'm talking about money. It's because I'm trying to be real. We believe that those who tithe have a greater understanding of the rope that they're in versus the ground that they're standing on. And those that are in the rope believing it are able to bounce down the life that they're living in without worry because they put faith and they put trust in this thing we don't talk about money because the church has to have it we talk about money because money tries to have you and if we believe the ground we're standing on is our job we're trying to tell you no 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 the cliff that you need to jump off is that god is your provider Why is it that you should tithe? Because we don't want you to be held on by this monetary thing of greed. We don't want you to be held on thinking that you work. And here's the funny thing is you don't tithe because you say you can't afford it. But the fact is, every person who tithes, not only do they afford it, they are seeing the benefits of a a tithing life. And here's what I mean by that. For 20 plus years, I've been in ministry. I've never received a phone call from someone needing help, and they were a faithful 10% plus tither. I only receive phone calls from people who need help. And when you you do the research, you find out that they don't give it all. It's because we have a poverty mindset that needs to be broken. And at some point in your life, if you can't trust God with the thing holding in your money, the thing you're holding in your hand, my question is, how do you trust God with the things that are unseen? How do you actually trust God to hold your kids to the faith? How do you trust God with your health? Here's one for you. How do you trust God with your eternal life? Because after all, everyone who dies that can prove that God is real, they're dead. They can't come back and prove it. I put my entire eternal existence in the faith that I'm latched into the right thing. But living here on earth? I can't trust him with the practical? Oh, ye of little faith. And so at some point, that mindset that you need to control your money, you need to control your destiny, you need to control what you can control, it's time to have some radical amputations of those things. Some radical amputations that keep us from living the mission that God has called us to. And so to really unpack this this week, I want to talk about one thing that I believe the enemy uses as a tool against all of us. And to do that, we are going to have a good old-fashioned Bible study. Can I get an amen for that? We're going to read out of the book of Numbers. In just a minute, I'm going to start getting some scriptures. But for right now... I want to tell you, if you're in the book of Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you know that Moses is still in control and not Joshua. Why? Because the next book is Joshua, and when Joshua takes over, Moses is dead. So we're in Numbers. Moses is still in charge. Moses has the children of Israel. They've come out of Egypt. They're moving in towards their promised land. As they come into the promised land, they start going to these different territories. And if you've read this, you may know about it. They start having victories everywhere they go for the most part. One uh, that we won't touch on, but victories everywhere they go. And then they came into this one area, the Amalekites. You don't have to remember all this. There's no quiz at the end, but there is a concept that I want to make sure you know by the by the time we finish today. The Amalekites, the Israelites said to the king, "Hey, we just need to pass through and we're not going to go to the right or the left. We're not going to get into your vineyards. We're not going to do anything to harass you. We just need to go through." But the Amalekite king did not believe the children of Israel were going to peacefully pass through. So the Amalekite king decided to attack. Long story short, Amalekite Amalekite king lost. The children of Israel, when they were attacked, had to fight back. Upon fighting back, they end up getting this land. So kind of, if you're looking at a map, the next king sitting there was this Moabite king. The Moabite king looks over and he says, man, this is like oxen going into the field, going to lick up everything that they see." or here's how we would say it today. You got some jokers that are coming towards my kingdom and they're about to take me over. And so the Moabite king realized that he could not do anything to defeat this massive army. There was nothing in his power. So this Moabite king by the name of Balak, everyone say Balak. This Moabite king named Balak decided that if he can't physically fight us, then he would try to spiritually curse us. So, Balak sent some people with money to a guy named Balaam. Everyone say Balaam. Balaam. So, you got Balak and Balaam. Balaam's who we're really gonna focus on. But since the names are so close, I, I'm trying to say it over and over so you can see it. So, you have this king Balak who sent some messengers to Balaam. And when he got to Balaam, he said, Balaam, we got these Israelites. They're speaking, our fear is that they're going to come try to conquer us. Could you speak a curse over them? Because if you curse them, they won't be able to come against us. Balaam says says this in uh, in Numbers 22, verses 12 and 13. So Balaam said, Let me go talk to my God. And then Balaam, but God said to Balaam, Do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. So the next morning Balaam got up and said to Balak's officers, go back to your own country for the Lord. See the word Lord there. The Lord has refused to let me go with you. So now, one thing I want you to notice the word Lord here, if you were to look it up in the Hebrew, it's actually the word Yahweh. So Balaam wasn't just trying to pray to some random God he actually had a conversation with the God that was over Israel. So he went to the God of Israel and he said, listen, I'm planning on cursing your people. And here's what God said to him. You cannot curse what I have blessed. Okay, so let's say this again so you guys all understand the power of the Almighty that we rest under. When those who are against you want to curse you, if our God says you cannot curse what I have blessed. Guess who wins? Our God. You need to hear this today. I feel like I'm at like a six and pretty soon I'm going to go to a nine on the preaching scale. So I I hope you're ready to go with me. Because we have to start understanding we cannot be cursed if God has blessed us. We cannot be torn down if he says to be raised up. We can't be put under when he says it's time for us to be on top. And so we have to understand the same blessing that this sorcerer tried to go and say, am I allowed to curse? That same blessing, we're under a better, newer covenant and blessing with Jesus Christ than they ever were. And this sorcerer comes back, and it's interesting, because he basically went, I went and talked to Jesus. That's how we need to hear it. Now, Yahweh, it's a whole different. I'm trying to get you context here. But Jesus told me, I'm not allowed to go with you. And as you read this, it's kind of like, I want to do this because you're offering me a lot of money, but unfortunately, I can't go do this with you. So Balak, the king of Moab, his people came back, and the king says, I need to send more money and higher level of princes back to this guy. So now all of a sudden, the higher levels come back to Balaam, and they said, hey, we want you to do this. And Balaam even said, if the, if the king would fill his entire castle his entire, with silver and gold, I can't curse what God tells me is blessed. Like, I just can't do this. But here's what I will go do. I'll go talk to him again. So sleep here that night, and as you sleep, then I'll go. So now Balaam, he goes back, talks to God, and here's what God says to him. And I don't have this scripture yet. You just have to trust me. This is in Numbers 22. Balaam goes back to God a second time, and God says, fine, you're allowed to go with them, but I already made it very clear what my desire was. And as I read that, I started realizing that God will allow us to walk out our foolishness despite the fact that He's told us where His presence would be. I think all too often I get this phone call or have this conversation Will you pray with me? Because all of hell is coming against me right now, the enemy's really attacking me. And here's the thing I never say, but I always want to say. Is it the enemy or is it your foolishness? Is it the enemy actually waging all of war against you? Satan's after me big time. No offense, you're not big enough for Satan. I'll say it. I'll say it. Like, not sure I'm on his radar whatsoever, right? Because our God may be omni-everything, but Satan is not. Right? And so to be able to say, all of hell is against me. You know what? Actually, God made his presence very known, but he will also allow us in our free will to walk out our foolishness despite the fact that he's made his plans to us clear. We have a mission in life. And if we don't set up boundaries, speak truth to ourselves, and use the scripture over it, God will not force us to live with him. God will allow us to walk out our foolishness so we can find him in the middle of our mess. So Balaam ends up going with him, gets on a donkey, and this is the funniest, this is the famous Balaam in the donkey. Because Balaam's riding along, I'm not going to, did you see me get started with it? So Balaam's going along and all of a sudden the donkey sees an angel in the middle of the street and the donkey runs off into a field. Balaam gets mad. He beats it, brings it back. And then a little bit later, they must have been going through some type of town. The the donkey once again sees this angel in the middle of the street. The donkey presses so hard up against a wall that it it hurts Balaam's leg. And And Balaam once again kind of beat on his donkey. Then they're going down a third time, the donkey sees an angel, and the donkey just sits down, just plops down right there. I can't go to the right, can't go to the left, boom, I'm parking it right here. Now, this is the part of the Bible that you may think is strange, but if you think this is strange, keep reading, it gets weirder. Verse 28, Numbers 22, then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and the donkey, it said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make me beat me three times? Balaam answers the donkey. You made me a fool. You made a fool of me. If I had only had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. And the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to uh, ridden to this day? Have I been in a habit of doing this to you? And Balaam responds, no. When we're driven by personal desires, you miss the irrational situations that you're in. When we are driven by our own sin, when we're driven by our own desires, when we're driven by our own mission, the moment the donkey started talking, the conversation should have went, what is happening? (laughs) Is there anybody who would disagree with me on this? I mean, I'm waiting for him going, after this, we're going to make waffles. So, okay, went over a lot better than 127. So, like, Balaam is so angry. Have you ever been in a situation where you were so angry that logic decided to leave and response was your only M.O.? It was your only mode of operation because we're so driven by what we want. The situation that we're in is completely irrational. And no matter how many friends, no matter how many family members, no matter how many warnings you get, at some point, you're just a guy, you're just a girl, you're just standing on the side of the road, having a conversation with a donkey. And everybody else around the situation is going, what is happening? And you are presently still defending yourself despite the fact that the world around you is completely irrational. And why did we get here? Because we knew what God wanted, but God allowed us to have what we chose. And so now you have this donkey sitting in the middle of the road And here's what I don't think Balaam ever understood. The major power of our desires is to deceive us. The major power of our desires is to actually deceive us that there's added benefit to our foolishness. If he would have said no ahead of time, said no to what? Said no to anything that went against the will of God. If he would have said no ahead of time, I have a boundary here. Well, how can I keep that boundary? You know what? Instead of me being the one that makes my only spiritual decisions, I'm going to bring a council of people around me, and I'm going to let them know Balak, a pagan, god, a pagan king, came to me wants to do this. But when I went to Yahweh, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, he told me no. Now, instead of trusting my own belief system, I have a, can I call this, like a, a mentorship group an accountability group, a sobriety group, whatever name you need to put around. I'm going to put another boundary away from me in order to keep me away from stepping into this foolish place because at some point you're just going to be a guy on the side of the road talking to your donkey. And so now he's still driven by personal desires. Yes, he has a conversation with the angel, which you're welcome to go read by yourself. But then in Numbers 23, we find this, that Balaam goes and he sets up all these altars. He sets up the first altar to make a sacrifice to see if he can curse Israel. He sets up the first altar. As he's setting it up, he ends up blessing Israel. Because those who God has blessed, no man can curse. Okay? So he sets up a second one. You're like, a second one? No, no, he ended up doing this seven times. Three of the times he blessed the nation of Israel, the other four times he actually cursed the kings that were going against Israel. Because I don't know if I've mentioned this yet. If God has blessed, no man can curse. So at some point, we need to stop thinking that the curses. The witches, the warlocks, the demonic activity around us is greater than our God. This guy was actively pursuing a way to curse Israel. And God kept going, man, not only that, why don't you bless him again? (laughs) Not only that, you bless him again. (laughs) Actually, who's cursing them? Do me a favor. Turn it around on them. So now the children of Israel... Who should have been being cursed multiple times, over the times, they're being blessed and they're being blessed and they're being blessed. And we should sit back and go look at that. God has protected us from the outside or from the outside in. But what we have to come to realize, which is the power of no that I want to show you today, and it's why this whole conversation is culminating to this point. God may be able to bless from the outside in, but we're able to curse from the inside out. Because and remember, we've been talking about the king of Moab this whole time. Balak, king of Moab. Why is that important? In Numbers chapter 25, which by the way, 25 follows Numbers chapter 24, which follows Numbers chapter 23. which follow, Okay, you're with me. So now, the outside opposing forces who have tried to curse and curse and curse, who can't, who can't, who can't, God has stopped everything from the outside going in, but then you have the inside coming out. And while Israel, verse one, was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality and Moabite women. What king are we talking about? The Moabites. So he tried to curse, he tried to curse, he tried to curse, he couldn't. But then the Moabite women, and by the way, if you hear this as some sexual, gender-specific, women bad, men good, you're missing it. The Moabite women who invited them to sacrifice to their God. Why? Because sex is a powerful tool. Sexuality is a powerful way to overcome everybody. The people ate the sacrificial meals and bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves to Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. When an enemy could not curse Israel, he defeated them by allowing Israel to compromise. The one topic that I want to bring up that has taken me all this time to get to, your spiritual life. The greatest attack is not from an outside force, but it's from an inside compromise. Your spiritual walk is going to be compromised, not because someone put a curse or a hex on you, not because you watched the wrong movie and all of a sudden your eyes saw something. Here's what it is. It comes from an internal compromise. And when the enemy couldn't conquer them with curses and spears, he sent in women which were lust. And this is why I'm saying don't make it a gender thing. Because by the way, I have a feeling Men could go into women's life and show that they're masculine and they'll protect and they'll provide and they could steal a heart of a woman as fast as the legs and a breast of a woman can steal the heart of a man. Can I talk honest with you right now? Okay? And so these men who were protected by God, allowed compromise to come in their front door, and at some point, they're compromising to the sexual needs and desires, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. They ended up bowing their knee to another God. They ended up worshiping to another kingdom. Why? Because the desires that they had, any time we have a desire in life, it will never be fulfilled by indulging in the wrong thing. Because if you're someone who wants to have a drink, you're like, why can't you stop at one? Why? Because all of them's not enough. Well, I have a problem with shopping. I need to go buy one more outfit. Not until next fall and the next line comes out. Or you should see the new car I have. Wait till you see the next ones they roll out on the showroom floor. Good is never great and great is never enough. Why? Because our sin nature is ever desire to grow and eat and it consumes every part of our life. But we think coming on one time on a Sunday morning and doing a prayer at church, singing a few songs will be enough to keep the blessings of God greater than our internal compromises. But they're not. Our compromises and our everyday decisions in our everyday choices, compromise will be the fastest thing that erodes our relationship with God. And so you read on in Numbers 24, uh, 25, verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, treat the Midianites, who are these people that have given way to our compromise, as enemies and kill them. Radical amputation. They treated you as enemies when they deceived you. What did they deceive you about? I know that I'm yelling at you today, and I'm not normally the yelling pastor, but I need you to know that this is one of the greatest things that we constantly come under attack, and I doubt you woke up this morning and you did your 10 steps of prayer, and one of the prayers was, God, keep me from compromising my faith in the small way. But until we realize this, these compromises leave the great doors of uh, Open enemy attack will never understand the little things matter. The little things matter. And compromise in our life is the little things. And when God said, look at them as the enemy coming to destroy you, you need to, and here's what it goes on to say I think it was 25,000 plus, destroy them. We try. We try to compromise with our compromises. We try to set boundaries around our sin. We try to appease these desires by doing them less. And at some point, we need to treat it what it is. It's an enemy coming to destroy the blessings that God has put on your life. It is a belief system trying to tear down the fabric of the boundaries that you're supposed to be living in. It is the enemy that is trying to come and take you off your mission in life. What is my mission? I don't know what your mission is, but I promise you this. Compromise can't be a co-partner of it. So normally at this time is when I start throwing out 20 different examples of what compromise looks like. And I can tell you now, twice I have sat down with these sermon notes. To just start giving practical examples. What are practical examples? And both times, I'm telling you, you may not believe this. This may be weird to you. But I'm telling you, as clear as I ever heard it, God said to not use a single example. Because by me using a single example, it can limit what the Holy Spirit's about to say to you. So if you would pray with me, Holy Spirit, at this point... I stop talking and you start communicating. Please, sir. Holy Spirit, this is the question. If you're here with me in person, if you're watching me online right now, Holy Spirit, what is the thing, and I'm going to use the word I, but I'm praying this for us. What is the one thing I am doing that is compromising my faith? I'm going to pray that again. And after I pray that, I'm not going to say anything for one minute. It's going to feel long. Your mind's going to try to wander. But I want to ask you with wholeheartedness right now, if you would press into what the Holy Spirit is going to say to you personally right now. But here is what my warning is. If you're going to bother doing this exercise, what happens if God talks to you? You have two options. Reject what it is that He's going to convict us of. Reject what it is that He's going to whisper to you. Or start saying no to that thing from now on. Because the very God that is trying to bless you may want to speak to you right now. And the thing that He wants to speak to you is the very thing tearing down His walls of blessing. So if you want to take this spiritual step with me, eyes closed, head bowed, whatever posture you need to position yourself in to ask this question. Holy Spirit, I ask for you to prophetically speak to every individual in this room right now, for every person joining us online, and for any person that would potentially watch this in the future. We desire for your blessings. Where in our life Are we living compromised? It's only been about 15 seconds. It's time for you to start talking to your God. or anyone who's trying to justify that thought in your head right now, you're Balaam trying to tell God why you should still go. For anyone who's saying, yeah, I knew this one. I thought I'd get something else. You're now Balaam sitting on the back of a donkey after the third time arguing with what you think should be carrying you through life. Holy Spirit, I thank you for coming to talk to us today. I thank you, God, that you can do more in a moment than I can do in hours, if not years. And God, I want to say thank you for the love that you have for each one of us, that you would tell us the places that we would compromise. Because if you revealed it to us today, God, you are going to give us the strength for radical amputation and freedom from that place. I speak against lifelong generational curses that have been on us. And I break them right now in the name of Jesus because of Your blessings. I speak against negativity. And I say that our words are sharper than a two-edged sword because that, our mouth will be filled with Your Word. Fear and anxiety that are trying to stick around despite the truth of the Word last, last week. Lord, we speak to those things. We have faith in who You are and what You've called us to. May our faith grow. If you're here right now, if you have your eyes closed, please just remain closed for a second longer. If you're here right now, the greatest step that you can take is not to say no, but to say yes. And that is saying yes to a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't know, Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior everything that we sang about today, everything that we would have preached on today, I can point it back to a man named Jesus. And that was, the, that was our God who stepped out of heaven, clothed Himself in flesh, died on a cross for your sins. And in dying on a cross, He gave you the opportunity to not only have eternal life, but life abundant right here, right now, here on earth. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, You may be watching us online or sitting with me in person. With all eyes closed and head bowed, if you're here today and you're ready to say yes to Jesus Christ, maybe for the first time or the last time, could I just ask you to raise your hand in the air so that I can see that you've made that decision. And as people are raising their hands here in the auditorium, I see that hand. I see those hands. Praise God. If you're online right now, here's what I need you to do. Throw up a thumbs up say that was me raising my hand maybe there's a tab popping up where you can click the yes button but if you're in our online community or sitting here with us in person could i just ask everybody within the sound of my voice to say this prayer dear jesus today is the day that i say no to sin i say no to death and i say yes to you forgive me of my sins Become Lord of my life. And from this day forward, I follow after You. God, I thank You for every hand that went up. I thank You for every decision that was made. And God, we seal them to Your family right now. We as a family come around them and we begin walking with them, talking with them, and unpacking the truth that is in Your Word. But right now, God, we seal in all of our hearts no to compromise. We choose to live the life that you've called us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, if you agree with that, amen. Put your hands together. Before everyone shifts to the mindset that we're done, can I give you a couple things real quick? The first one is this. If you want to continue studying about this conversation, I found a great uh, Bible plan on the AM and it says this, Don't be a fool. Learn from the donkey and it actually starts unpacking different parts of the scripture it is a great reading program you'll get an email about it you'll see it on the social media all that kind of stuff but if you want to continue to read uh this past week or this next week please dial into that this next thing i'll say is i we saw quite a few hands i th- i think i saw at least four hands go up today maybe over the last couple months you've said yes to jesus christ i want to tell you that coming up at the end of march at our easter service We're going to have a baptism service on Resurrection Sunday. So if you're here, absolutely. If If you would like to either be a part of baptism or you say, what is baptism? Please stop by our Next Step booth. They can help you not just get signed up but help explain what that is. We would love you to take your next step in that growing in finding God by stopping by our Next Step booth and doing that. Also, the last couple of weeks and I know this is a lot. I'm just going to throw these out. The last couple of weeks we've been letting you know that our nav groups are back meeting. I want to tell you for every person that leads one of these community groups or opens up your home to these community groups, thank you for catching the vision of the house. Thank you for being heroes in our midst. But I also know this, they've had a lot of new people joining in. If you want to continue your spiritual walk, last week one of our NAV group leaders said it this way, he believes more happens spiritually in a NAV group or community group setting than what happens here on a Sunday morning. Just so you know, I can't argue. There's something powerful when we get out of rows and get into circles. And so make sure to connect. You can go back to the next step. Final thing I'm going to say is yes, we let you know that our Easter egg hunt is coming up at the end of this month. I am going to ask everyone to personally do this. Will you please take time to go ahead and sign up to be one of the volunteers? And here's why we need this. We've had so many, this is an awesome, awesome testimony. We've had so many new volunteers at our last two big outreaches that we are out of shirts but i don't want to go buy 300 shirts for whatever size you may happen to be so one of the reasons i would love to have you sign up in the next 24 hours is because if you need a shirt we want to get them ordered so that you can be ready in uniform to go bless our community but then it'll also help us fill out our team so if you would in the next 24 hours don't think Oh, they assume, I'm always there, they'll assume I'm there. We don't want to assume anything, because assuming makes a donkey out of you and me. See what I did there? But here's why I'd love you to put your, uh, sign up, get your name down, and you will see the powerful thing. That's a lot of announcements at the end of a service. If you remember one thing, those who want to be baptized, head that way. If you want to get connected in a community group, head that way. If you don't know how to sign up, head that way. Hey, Nick, set boots. Good luck. There's a line coming your way. For everyone, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine down upon you. And as you go this week, may the Holy Spirit be vocal in your life to bring freedoms that he desires for you. God bless. You're dismissed.
0: Thanks again for joining us this week on the Navigation Church podcast. We hope this message strengthened and encouraged you in the next step of your journey. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating and review. And if you want more information about Navigation Church or wish to connect with us in more ways, visit navchurch.org, download the Nav app in your app or Google Play Store, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and even like the Navigation Church page on Facebook. And again, make sure and subscribe to this podcast so you never miss a single message. For now, No Navigation Church is always here to help you discover and take your next step in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ.